Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 194 for Monday, May 23rd, 2022. My name is Joel Duggan, and joining me as always, suspending your disbelief, is my friend Johnny, the teleporting pixel of Hello, sir. <laughs> Hello. More about that in a second. But we've already been talking about disbelieving things and, and fantastical things in discussing the movies that we've seen recently. Joel has been to see Ghostbusters Afterlife. I've just watched Everything Everywhere All at Once. More discussion about that can be found in The Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast that our patrons get access to by subscribing over at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Uh, speaking of our patrons, we also have a monthly Minecraft hangout coming up on Saturday, May 28th. Time to be confirmed but most likely to be around the same time we've done the previous ones and in addition a bit of a housekeeping before we get into the main show on next week's show we should be joined by bedrock edition content creator prowl8413 uh, who's going to be balancing out our java centric experience here on the show with some bedrock knowledge and uh, probably chatting a lot about parity between the two versions as we lead up to 1.19's release so if you're a bedrock player uh, that's definitely going to be a show to look out for so what do you say we kick off with what we have been up to in Minecraft? What uh, What's new, man? Uh, so this week, I've mostly been taking it easy because it was my birthday week. So I figured I would probably just kind of relax and do what I wanted to. Uh, so I've been working a bit more on my copper aging facility. And because it was my birthday, one of the components of it was a lot of cake. <laughs> so I've been working on this thing where observers detect the stages of copper blocks as they age. And it counts this off using a dropper. So one dropper has four unstackable items in it, like wooden shovels is what I've been using. It ejects one of those into the dropper below each time the copper changes state. So it goes in as a regular copper block. That gets picked up by the observer because it's changing the block in front of the observer. And then the next three stages of change are also counted off by these wooden shovels. And then once the four shovels get into the dropper at the bottom, it ejects it from the circuit. Once that's happened to every circuit down this row, a flying machine comes through and collects all of them. So where the cake came in was that the dropper counting circuit needed a side input comparator to make sure it didn't activate until the bottom dropper had those four wooden shovels in it. And so to disable the comparator that basically tells the system okay this copper block is done i have a comparator feeding into the side of that and cake it turns out has this thing where it interacts with a comparator and the comparator reads how full the cake is it's got 14 signal strength from a full cake and then each slice you eat it reduces that signal strength by two and it turned out that the right signal strength for this was six so i had to eat four slices of each of these cakes and leave three slices left and because I'm doing that for every copper aging circuit down this row, I could have, you know, potentially chained all of the cakes into just one row of comparators that fed into all of them and just had a few less cake. But I felt like eating a lot of cake on my birthday. That was about 90 cakes that I had to get down to just three <laughs> slices. And then it turned out that I'd built them on the wrong side because it was going to interfere mm -hmm. with some redstone that I had on one side of the circuit. So I ended up moving the cakes over to the other side. And by the end of it, I'd eaten about 480 slices of cake on one uh, three-hour live stream, which was a lot, but it felt like the right sort of thing to do on your birthday. And uh, yeah, thankfully, there isn't any kind of like sugar high status effect in Minecraft because I would definitely <laughs> be feeling it right about now. Probably still be feeling it, actually. The mouse would just be vibrating the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. Double vision. Yeah. Uh, um, out of curiosity, after all of that, how do you feel about the, the process of the cakes being something that you can only eat when you're hungry 
And much like an old television, once you kind of go past that, you know, three slices of cake left, if you go down to two, then you have to go around the horn again. And, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. and, like eat the rest <laughs> and then and then put it down and start over again. Like that's this is why I don't use them for anything, is because I find them very frustrating. Yeah, I think in large quantities it definitely gets a bit repetitive. What I was doing because I knew I was going to need this many was I was working on the circuits as I went and I just removed all other food from my inventory <laughs> so that I had to go and eat a couple of slices of cake once my hunger got to a certain point. And there were definitely points later on where the cake was you know placed further ahead than i was in terms of overall hunger and so i got like a wither rose out or i'd like fly into the ceiling to take a bit of damage and damage is probably one of the things that's going to cause your saturation and your hunger to deplete fast enough as you try and regenerate health so i ended up just spending a bit of time damaging myself sprint jumping around to try and get the uh the hunger going and yeah it was it was okay in the end but I think in retrospect, if it hadn't been my birthday, I'd probably just have used like composters or something, which could have output six signal strength, but with a lot less waiting around for uh, for the player to get hungry. Um, as you alluded to in the introduction, though, I've stepped away from that and have now started playing around with something I'd never really used before, which is enderpearl stasis chambers and automatic teleporters. So the concept being that a bubble column can suspend a falling entity in it for as long as you want it to. So you can do this with arrows, thrown tridents, things like that. And it also works with enderpearls. If you throw an enderpearl straight down into a bubble column that's at least six blocks tall so that it doesn't just hit the soul sand at the bottom, you can leave the enderpearl just kind of floating there. And basically whenever you have that pearl impact with something, like if you close a trap door on it, it will teleport you back there. And those things never despawn, they don't expire. The only thing that really messes with them, I think, is if you die, because then it, it just doesn't register it as something that you've thrown recently. Um, so in theory, you can use those to teleport yourself back to a point after a certain amount of time. Like if you set up a redstone clock attached to that, and I set up one with a daylight sensor so it'd count days instead of, you know, game ticks or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I ended up with a system that would teleport me back to spawn if I had been away for three days because the spawn chunks are going to stay loaded so the redstone is still going to tick and yeah, the, the idea being that it could teleport you back from basically anywhere you were in the world as long as you set one of those up in a permanently loaded redstone ticking chunk. And yeah, I, I like the idea. It's probably more fun than useful for me, uh, but I do like the potential. And it's something I think I'm going to play around with a little bit more in uh, in future concepts, future worlds, um, maybe a bit more in the survival guide if I've got something that I need to get to the nether roof, maybe. Like instead of breaking bedrock, I could have a an enderpearl stasis thing up there if I can figure out how to get something similar to bubble columns in the nether, which is, you know, <laughs> going to be easier said than done, I think. But um, yeah, who knows? There's there's other possibilities for them. I just think they're kind of fun to play around with. I uh, I think that there's some possibilities there for even mini games, right? Like if you've got uh, you're doing like Minecraft Bingo, or you're doing like a scavenger hunt, or doing achievements or something like that in in a special event. If all the players put you know uh, uh, an Ender Pearl in stasis, then that's your timer, right? You mm -hmm. don't have to have an on-screen timer you don't have to worry about who's done when like i mean you will be teleported back when your time is up as in like you can't play anymore so like whatever you've collected or whatever you've achieved that's it 
yeah for like abba caving or something like that it'd be Mm, really good mm -hmm. um i've seen hermitcraft use these for pretty you know obvious among us references if they want to press it like an emergency meeting button it teleports everyone back to the the central (laughs) table and stuff like that you know there's there's stuff like that where people have already used things like this and i'm really now just catching up to what the community's been doing with them for a few years i think etho has showcased these in his single player world and there's a whole variety of stuff out there that they've they've been done but i'm thinking yeah maybe i can maybe i can use these to to mess around with some stuff in future we will we'll have to see well i might be using ender pearls more in the future because as i do more and more work on the roofs of the buildings in west hill i get more and more frustrated with going up and down scaffolding uh-huh, and yeah how impossible it is to jump off of scaffolding or shift click when you're on scaffolding to place things like trap doors or you know any other block you know using um blocks that have an inventory for decoration you know uh like uh well anything really that that has an inventory like furnaces and you're on scaffolding when you're placing it and then you're ultimately like clicking inside of it but you don't want to and then you've got a hold shift and then all of a sudden you're through the scaffolding and just or you're doing that terrible bounce thing where you have to like hold shift and space bar at the same time mm-hmm. um anyway getting up and down to a build um it, it's probably going to be something that I can, i'm going to start using ender pearls for and I, we have tons of them on the server just tons so it's it's just a matter of me going and getting a shulker box full and then i'm set right um the only downside being that they only stack to 16. so um i have been spending a lot of my time on the citadel um on some new roofs uh the first situation was a build that i wasn't happy with at all uh it was the uh i think it's the the consigner building Uh, i was trying to i called it the magistrate building at first but that's like a legal thing um like the town law and this mm-hmm. is more about the person that's monitoring all the goods coming and going from the Toltaberry wharf which we completed a couple weeks ago and i just wasn't happy with the way that the building was looking like it looked good but it felt like it was blending into the background it didn't feel very unique i liked the idea of having two towers with a roof in between them but something just wasn't going well and so i tried playing around with it one stream by making one tower taller by making the roof on the tower pointier to try and overlap the keep that kind of looms in the background but what i ended up doing was just a a stretch for me which was just completely push the asymmetry of this build to the max and put like a very i keep on calling them peaky roofs on my on my build which is basically something that kind of goes up three blocks for every one block that it goes across so it's yeah. only like a nine wide block area but the roof is something like 15 blocks tall <laughs> yeah yeah and it can look a little exaggerated but i think in the right context it works pretty well especially seeing as you've got high walls around it so That's it doesn't thing, look yeah. abnormally tall for the other stuff you're building in this town yeah, it looks ridiculous on its own, or or I guess I should say ridiculous. Like it looks very ornate on its own, and unless yeah. you've got enough of that kind of stuff happening around, it's going to look out of place. But like you said, and I appreciate that. That yeah, it does work because there are other things around it that dwarf it. You know, uh, mm-hmm. in the screenshots I shared, you can't see, but I'm I'm behind behind me is the is the western gate, which is huge, like it's massive, and so everything around that looks small, which is nice. Uh, but I am having a really hard time kind of like relearning how I want to design things in West Hill for this area, which is the West side, which is meant to be, you know, upper class, more money, more, more jobs that are knowledge based as opposed to manual labor. So like houses are not just low to the ground, you know, one room or, or very basic stuff. Like things, these are things that are going to have a lot more going on. And, um, I'm, I'm trying not to look up other Minecraft builds, but, uh, I, I've also been, 
kind of like grazing over things on Pinterest and, and looking around and just kind of like seeing like, what are the proportions that are working? Um, I really enjoy looking up things like concept art for either animation or um, video games in some cases, uh, or uh, models for tabletop, um, because then I have to translate them into Minecraft. Mm -hmm. I don't remember what the model was. It was just some random tabletop model, but it had this kind of like super, super steep A-frame with other things attached to it. And I thought, that's what I need. I need a shape change to make this more interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've worked on that. It does have it inside and there are lots of rooms for bookshelves. And um, one of the challenges that I've laid out for myself in this this build is to have interiors that function. So after I get about halfway through you know, um, the outside of something, I tend to pop inside and start laying out like, can I walk around in here without banging my head? You know, like, is the ceiling too high, too low? Um, so I moved on and decided that it's time to do all the block selections for the buildings that was next to it. And the building next to it is going to be the canal bakery. And uh, you can sort of see a little bit of the start of it there, but it took on a uh, massive change uh, in, I don't know, the last stream or two where I've added like um, all kinds of things like vines and I changed the roof color. I changed the, it's got like three floors now, which is again, this is the advantage of having these really tall roofs. And what I'm trying to do is, is try to push myself to have blocks in the roofs as opposed to stairs and slabs. I still use stairs and slabs usually for like the eaves, but by using blocks, you have obviously a lot more of a palette. You can choose all kinds of different colors. I'm not happy with the brown that I've chosen so far. I've found it frustrating to try and find and make a gradient. So as big as this roof is, it's still hard to get a gradient going. Um, but little things that have been fun to work with, like putting composters in for highlights, composters and jungle doors and jungle trap doors go very well together mm -hmm. because they've got that kind of like pinky orange kind of vibe. Uh, so I've been having uh, a lot of fun and... I don't want to say frustration. It's just been really challenging lately to try and figure out some of these problems. Uh, the joke on the stream is that past Joel <laughs> wanted to challenge future Joel and saying like, yeah, this will work. I'll put a bridge here and I'll do the moat and that'll be fine. And then you're just like, oh, how do I do a two wide five long bridge and have it look like a bridge and not a stone slab that's been fallen across the canal? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. You know? Originally, the bridge was on an angle and I liked it at first, but the more I wanted to make it look like a bridge, the, the less option I have. Of course, the challenge with Minecraft on angles is that trying to put up any kind of fence or guardrail that you don't want to be a meter and a half thick uh, is, <laughs> yeah. is really challenging. So I use an awful lot of spruce trap doors in this particular build so far. Uh, the bridge is not done, but what I wanted to illustrate, uh, which is an idea that I, I do really like, is that the moat, which is still not finished for the keep, kind of comes around the corner, drops down a waterfall, has this little canal that goes through the town and then underneath the main square and then empties out into the river. And I already did the other end. Like the other end is part of the the Tolteberry Wharf access. And uh, it's not something that would be traversed. It's more like a, probably at this stage in, in you know, a medieval fantasy world, probably like, you know, sewage <laughs> would, mm -hmm. be, would be my guess. Uh, but uh, because it's there, it gave me the opportunity to think, okay, well, if there's this much water and moisture around, then this, you know, is going to have a vine or something going up it. So it really was a fun way to kind of like add some things on top of the build to break up the monotonous of the brown color, but then also have it make sense, which for me as a creator, I find important. Like I, I want vines to grow near water. I want, 
you know, um, builds that are, you know, something like a bakery to be one that has like a double wide chimney because on the inside, which I was really happy with the idea that I came like right in the middle of the stream. I was just kind of like, I'm really frustrated with this, not having a high enough ceiling and I can't do anything to raise the ceiling because the ceiling in a very cool way, kind of like levels out with the next like the next level of the town as you go up the hill so you can go in on one floor and exit the house on the on the second floor which is really cool and then i just thought like this is dumb joel it's minecraft dig down a block <laughs> so i i dug down a block inside and did a rough layout for what's like a three wide oven space in this what will be a bakery and so mm -hmm. i'm looking forward to this interior design and getting into the, the the guts of it and like i'll probably have like a smoker in there and maybe a blast furnace or something to kind of make it look like a fancier medieval kind of bakery something that would be providing not just like baking for themselves and their neighbors but like providing the town maybe you know with a lot of a lot of goods and uh and so this is basically you know where i am with the build it's it's a it's a unique kind of situation because i only had one stream on it on the weekend and it's kind of like that initial pass where like i try not to get too caught up in detail sometimes i let myself get carried away most mostly what i want to do is just kind of like start to pick out the main block choices so these builds right now with the exception of attempting to texture the roof of the bakery they're just like flat deep slate roof you know they've just got cobblestone bottoms or they've got mushroom stem or calcite i've not done any kind of texture work on them because i kind of want to make sure that all four or five houses around this square kind of work color wise before mm -hmm. i spend like all that time texturing stuff um but it's it's been a challenge and i'm curious because i know that you've done this kind of building you know in the past when it comes to trying to push the scale of something without making it feel like it's beyond player scale like what what kind of things have you come across in your in your experience that you think would be helpful i mean it's really just about providing micro block detail which is something you know a lot about already so mm -hmm. i don't know if i can be of much help there but like yeah it's 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 really all about giving the player objects inside rooms like that especially that make it look like oh okay yeah this is definitely a bit more player scale because there are candles around or there are you know if you can fit mob heads in there i know you've got a couple of like custom block things that you've right. got set up so like if you can provide details like that that make the countertops and like seats and stuff in this room feel like more than just like meter wide slabs of material then yeah i think that's that's usually the best way forward really but there's a lot of that stuff that's in the vanilla minecraft palette that we often either take for granted or don't remember in the moment like i make liberal use of stuff like campfires now extinguished and piled up as like spare logs on the side next to a fire or something like that so it it doesn't look like there's actually a fire burning there it looks like these are just spare logs and there's even a little bit of ashes in the texture if you still have that in if you haven't retextured it to take those out where you can kind of imagine that yeah they've scraped all of the ashes from the fire into this one area and they're maybe using that as like a little kind of container for it all so that it doesn't get all over the floor that kind of stuff there's so many different little things but when it comes to player scale if you're trying to keep things that way then the micro block details are really where it's at and aside from that you're just going to have to accept that for certain things maybe your player is 
like a little bit smaller than the average person perhaps and the average person is built a little bit more like an iron golem and at that point you've got to scale things up having played elden ring for the last little while and i'm taking a lot of in inspiration from that for environment design we've been talking a bit more about that in the render distance recently um i'm learning that basically the way that game is structured everything looks like it's been built by and for giants or you know people who are much larger than your character is and obviously that sells a certain amount of the the epic nature of the scale of the game and gives you those wow moments around every turn it also accommodates the fact that there are giants in the world you fight a lot of them um but that yeah like you get the sense that your character is relatively small by comparison and that can be an okay feeling you, you sort of get the feeling that everything is more impressive just because it's scaled up by in minecraft terms an extra block or so where the difficulty comes in is like how you build doors for those kind of builds and you know how you really reproportion a lot of the stuff that's meant to feel like the player is at home there yeah and that's my sticking point usually is doors and the ceiling height you know like I, I don't like the two block high ceiling i much prefer two and a half minimum usually three because i like to do alternating logs and planks in the insides of my builds to kind of give that kind of um log cabiny supported ceiling look uh the thing that i find challenging too uh is the outside like trying to make the roof look big enough to to not feel like a checkerboard but then not so big that it either blocks the views of other things and that's something i checked like i wanted to change this roof and i thought well you know joel you, you want to push yourself to build bigger maybe the solution here is to raise the roof but when i went to go check the sight lines i was like no i really can't because then it's going to start to block other things around it and it's not going to really look very good so um I, I do have some advantages on the Sizzle with Chuck Chuck's Tables and Chairs data pack. We have the armor stand thing that Hermitcraft uses, as well as the, um, you mentioned the mini blocks, like the, that's what we have with our wandering trader. He trades mm -hmm. for, for mini blocks of various different blocks. And so those can come in really handy. You know, like a stripped birch wood block looks like a loaf of bread, right? Yeah, like if, uh -huh. you, if, you, if, you, if you put that on a table in a bakery, you go, oh, okay, like I, I get it. So I'm hoping to to have more of that in, in the future. Uh, one trick that I will share with people that I was very happy with was I've tried to put campfires next to one another in chimneys before. They always look like two separate chimneys. Like it just looks like two separate smoke plumes. But if you really want to sell it, it still looks like two separate from a very specific angle. However, if you put a two by two chimney and you put your two campfires on an angle, mm -hmm. so in the, in the corners... Uh, opposite one another uh, then it doesn't look like a giant you know two by two plume of smoke but it looks like a nice combination of heavy smoke at the bottom to finer smoke at the top and only in a very specific angles will you'll be able to see like two separate you know streams um, so it works very well to go on an angle every time i've done like a two by one chimney where this the two campfires are next to another i always end up just removing one and just going with one because it looks weird it looks it looks yeah. like a double smokestack as opposed to a, as opposed to a combined single, and so if you're looking to get like a thicker smoke, go with go with putting your campfires in like a checkerboard pattern, not next to one another. And that's the kind of thing where if you can limit sight lines, then people aren't going to see it from a certain angle anyway. Like to really mm -hmm. see in the screenshot that you've shared us in the live chat, if you really want to see that as two separate campfires burning you have to be standing on the roof of the building next to it right so if you're looking at it from the street more often than not if you're navigating this town in an, a standard way then you're looking up at it from the angle where it looks like one large clump of smoke and exactly the particles kind of combine in a nice way so that works pretty well it's pretty effective thank you
Moving on into some news, we have a pre-release. Minecraft 1.19 pre-release 1, published Wednesday, May 18th. From now on, you should mostly see bugs being fixed. In addition to that, pre-releases don't follow the regular snapshot cadence of releasing on Wednesdays. So keep an eye out for the next pre-release. Changes in 1.19 pre-1 slightly reduced the number of mangrove trees in mangrove swamps. Endermen, skeletons, wither skeletons, and piglins now spawn in a wider range of light levels in the nether from light level 0 to 11. Item interaction vibrations are now emitted when you start or finish using an item with a start or finish state, such as bows, crossbows, goat horns, shield, food. Item interaction vibrations are now ignored when sneaking. Placing items that aren't armor, such as pumpkins and skulls, in your headwear slot now plays a generic equip sound. Technical changes in 119 Pre 1. Auto-completion is now available for the template argument place template. Custom servers can now enable or disable chat preview for certain clients by sending a new network packet. Now a chat preview is also shown for chat-related commands such as slash say and slash message. Test rainbow chat has been removed from server.properties. Fixed bugs of note in 119 Pre 1. Equipping armor slash elytra through inventory or dispenser doesn't play sounds. Equipping armor through the inventory does not count as a vibration. Skulk sensors are not activated upon entities being summoned by a spawner. Frogs can jump around while being tempted with slime balls. Tadpoles drop experience, unlike other baby mobs. Items collected off the ground by allays travel too high above their hitboxes. And goat horn playing isn't detected as a vibration. So uh, Minecraft Now is back on the uh, YouTube rotation and the May 2022 episode is now out. Uh, that's Minecraft Now, Wild Update and The Far Lands featuring Ant Venom. Uh, you can get to know the mobs that are being added to Minecraft 1.19 if you haven't been keeping up with development. They specifically showed off frog concept art with concept artists Mariana and Chi, and they were watching some warden reactions from folks like Filza, Captain Sparkles, Packper, Hot Sauce Beats, among others, including myself, actually. I appear for a very brief moment in the uh, community highlights segment. And there's also a special look at the Farlands courtesy of Ant Venom, who is something of an expert on the subject, having uh, presented a panel all about them at a previous Minecraft live event. So if you're interested in watching that and keeping up with some of the stuff that we talked about previously on the show, but a little bit of community insider stuff as well, that's over on youtube.com slash Minecraft, and it's the latest episode of Minecraft now. So we are getting into pre-releases for pre-release season yeah exciting times or well maybe exciting times depending on how you feel about this update but personally i'm excited i'm i'm very happy that we're now heading towards a full release because it's the kind of thing that part of me just wants to get in there and do it like i'm not quite feeling the doldrums from 118 yet i'm not feeling like i don't have anything to do anymore which is often the case with other minecraft updates where it's mainly focused on additions like blocks and mobs and this time around with all of the changes in terrain and stuff um i feel like i'm still exploring a new world but i i'm quite happy that that world is going to be uh changing slightly soon yeah i have um i have like a mixed feeling because of the the long-term world that we have with the sizzle where i get excited for new stuff coming out and then i also remember that all the things that we have break <laughs> you know like mm. the things that i use to run minecraft like you know uh 
sodium and like sodium, the, the kind of sorry, yeah, performance enhancement stuff. Blanking on the mods, yeah, sodium, lithium, and then performance stuff, uh, data packs, like stuff like that that we might use. Um, uh, granted, one of the things that's nice about working in Fabric as opposed to another mod loader for client side stuff is that Fabric tends to update very, very quickly because it's been updating along with the snapshots. Yeah. So really, it's just a matter of like a day. Um, and I mean, I don't remember the last time that we rolled the Citadel over to, you know, a new, a new, um, release the day that it happened. Like sure. it's usually like a wait for the dust to settle because of how much trouble it is. Is there going to be a one nineteen one for any number of reasons? Right. And yeah. so we, we tend to wait. Um, I think we had that experience once back in one fourteen, and we're like, nope, no, nah, none of us are in a rush. We'll just, we'll just wait. Um, but I, I'm looking forward to it as well. And I have to remind myself that, you know, so much of the conversation on the spawn chunks has been centered around the warden and ancient cities, but I'm just like, I'm, I, I like to make redstone farms. I'm excited to have some sound based redstone with skulk sensors. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, in my, and you know, we just spent a, a great deal of time talking about my, my West Hill build waterlogged leaves, my friend. <laughs> Like there, there are some things that are going to really change. I think even players that are currently just working on existing projects, people that are not going to necessarily start new in one nineteen. but there's a lot coming that I think is going to be um, not necessarily like, you know, flagship stuff. And I think that's probably one of the challenges we talked about last week is that coming off the tails of one eighteen with all the changes that were made, you know, getting excited for the stuff in one nineteen. Uh, it's going to be interesting, but uh, I'm looking forward to like having mangrove wood and mud bricks. Like, I mean, I, as someone that's currently building a medieval city, like there's all kinds of stuff that's coming. Yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how long it takes for us to take stuff like this for granted and thinking like, oh yeah, there are mm. nine types of wood in Minecraft. And like, I remember the days when the Nether update adding those two new wood types felt like such a big change because mm -hmm. it was the first new wood we'd had since I think 1.8 or 1.7 even. Like it was, it was a very, very long time since there'd been like dark oak and acacia added. And I, I think it's, it's kind of funny that people are glossing over the fact that we're getting a whole new tree it, it feels like it should have been more more you know exciting than 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 it has been i feel but um anyway th there are going to be fewer of those according to the snapshot but a reduced density of mangrove trees in a mangrove forest i assume is going to help people explore the swampy biomes a little bit more comfortably but still retain the overall feeling of the biome especially with all the discussions about fireflies not being present and so the atmosphere of the biome still being dictated largely by the amount of foliage um i'm, I'm hoping that the jungle doesn't have too much competition when it comes to um just being difficult to navigate because that's my experience of jungles generally is all of the the ground foliage and stuff making it difficult to explore means that i don't spend a whole lot of time just hopping around a jungle biome um but i i think mangroves could be a good balance of that incredibly dense foliage but still an explorable experience for people who want that especially if the um the room that they've maybe put in between the trees is a lot more traversable by boats mm -hmm. uh, yeah. i think it'll be a lot faster than getting around in a jungle i remember my first time in a jungle and i got lost <laughs> like <Yeah>. capital <laughs> l lost uh but the uh the mangrove swamps i don't i i've only kind of popped into the snapshots to take screenshots for you know the the title cards for the episodes uh and and even flying around in creative mode you're just kind of like it's like pinball you're like doink 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 you're just mm -hmm. always hitting trees and so i I've, i can between that and some creator videos that i've seen i, f I feel like the reduction or a slight reduction is probably a, a probably a good move because from what i've seen as well mangrove swamps don't appear to be tiny 
Uh, I mean, sure, you probably run into the odd small swamp biome, but I feel like when you see them, they do tend to be pretty large. So it's not like you're removing tons of potential trees from a player's, you know, if, if someone wants to come in and clear cutting, just get a whole lot of mangrove wood. I don't think the thinning out of the mangrove swamps is going to really affect your bottom line that much. Um, so yeah. it should be, should be pretty cool. Um, I, for me, I think that the thing that stood out for me in terms of like a, huh, I wonder how that's going to work. Are the changes in the nether spawning to compensate for the 118 changes and bring things back up to having more mobs in the nether spawning uh i i don't know how that is going to affect the farms because is that is that going back to the way that it was before 118 or is it adding extra spawning it's kind of difficult to say because I, th I think it mentions piglins in the changelog, but piglins spawned in those light levels anyway. It's much more about fortress mobs and endermen than it is any of the other stuff. Because other stuff like, because the nether is such a, like, an, a weirdly bright environment, there's fire, there's lava, all of that stuff, like, zombie piglins spawn in basically any light level anyway. I think there's only a, a very high range in which they, they don't spawn. Um, and so this is much more about getting Enderman back into the warped forests, allowing skeletons and wither skeletons to spawn even in a relatively well-lit up fortress. And I think that's ultimately a good thing. I don't think it's going to affect your day-to-day -day exploration of the nether all that much unless you spend a lot of time in warped forests. But I think it's going to be overall a good way of keeping the nether feeling like a dangerous environment like it's supposed to. And I think the only thing that it, this potentially suffers from is the intuitive nature of lighting in the overworld and the fact that light level zero being required for mob spawns was a change that made a lot more sense from a new player perspective. And then that obviously changes when you go to the nether and you, you can't just light everything up and expect nothing to spawn there. But that's always really been the case and... I think you pretty much take the nether as a dangerous place the minute you go there, depending on how how pleasant your spawn is to you. But I, I think it's it's probably a good thing that stuff like that has changed because it helps keeping the nether a little bit more alive when Endermen were basically nowhere in warped forests after 118. I remember when I was playing my modded playthrough and we went looking for ender pearls and stuff for ender chests. And I was like, I couldn't find an enderman to save yeah. my life, mm -hmm. you know, in, in the nether. So that was that was challenging. Uh, I um I just looked it up and zombified piglins spawn at light level eleven. Yeah. So mm -hmm. so it's right in line with piglins and the rest rest of this yeah. stuff. So if an, if anything, that's just more consistent then for for nether mobs, which makes sense. I think it, it's nice that everything follows the similar rules, and and there are only like one or two exceptions, like magma cubes and stuff like that. I th I think that makes a lot more sense and. It kind of, in that way, keeps it in line with the overworld spawning rules of like, okay, pretty much everything except slime uh, is going to be blocked by by any level of light. That that makes a lot more sense to me. You know if the zombified piglin aggro is changing in 119, is that a bug that I'm, that's been fixed that I'm remembering? Because it's essentially affecting those donut farms where like you hit the one piglin and then they just kind of keep on looping the aggro and then you get the XP from it. Yeah, the, the, bu the bug is more that the piglins drop XP when they're killed regardless of whether the player has killed them if they're just angry. Um, and I don't know if that is changing. I think they are planning to change it because Skulk is supposed to be the bridge between those two things. Like if you want to store a bunch of XP a certain way or if you want mobs to produce a bunch of XP, you can effectively kill them around Skulk blocks and have the Skulk blocks be harvestable for XP later. 
Um, and I don't know if I've seen anything in recent change logs that eliminates that from 119. But the simple solution to that, of course, is just to have a gold farm that relies on manually killing piglins or incorporate skulk in it in some way. But I, I don't know if I've seen anything in the recent change logs about it. I'd have to go back and look through a uh, a more permanent set of like every set of change log notes we've had for a while, or I guess test it in whatever release version of 119 we get. Yeah, don't quote me on that. I'm just, it's one yeah. of those things that kind of been in my ear because I, I just, I feel like my, I've had a lot of kind of like, you know, uh, out of game thoughts about like what we're going to do when our gold farm basically breaks in terms yeah. of the AFK, the AFK ability of it. It will still function if you want to sit there and smack piglins or zombified mm -hmm. piglins, but, but not, not if you want to kind of walk away from the computer. Uh, and so I've been trying to think, and this is probably a better conversation for another episode down the line when we talk about prepping for 119, but I've been thinking about like, you know, where and how and if I should build a different gold farm with different functions in it, you know, that doesn't focus on XP. That's just, just gold focus as opposed to like not caring about really killing the piglins uh, by yeah. hand. Yeah, um, I, see, I and, see a lot more creators taking a focus on just acquiring gold and setting up XP farms in different ways now. Different so, ways, yeah. Yeah, it'll yeah, be yeah. interesting to see how the meta changes, especially when skulk blocks are uh, more common. And for whatever reason, uh, despite the fact that I've built it a couple of times, our Enderman farm in the end is not the fastest XP farm. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the gold farm is actually faster. Plus you get gold while you're there. So uh, I've been using that for quite some time. The, the lighting level changes just kind of made me think like, I really need to revisit my old wither skeleton farm. I need to revisit this gold farm. And like, so there's a couple of projects that are kind of coming up that might be kind of fun. Uh, in terms of some of those those changes, uh, especially if we can in in retrofitting them, if you can incorporate any of the new uh, skulk sensors into it, then I think that it's going to be uh, an interesting thing to do. And one of the things that caught my eye from this update, um, this pre-release was the the item interaction vibration changing from start and end of using potential items. I can see that being really useful or really annoying. And I'm not yeah. sure which uh -huh. it's like, for example, like you could open your secret skulk sensor door by starting to, but not finishing eating a pork chop, which means you could have a pork chop remote control for, for your, for your <laughs> like, door, which like is garage hilarious. Door, garage door opener kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That's yeah. So good. I mean, insert anything. You could be a cookie. It could be like anything that you can st stop eating before you finish it so like mm -hmm. something quick like milk or a or a, a bottle of water might be too fast but like something that's hardy that takes a long time to chomp on might be actually worth it but the problem i find in the additions of these things when i first read it was just like okay well that's cool but like that adds a lot of signals and a lot of um double signals to these skulk sensors and it's similar to how i find um observers can be very frustrating when they detect both the happening in a block and the unhappening in a block when you don't mm -hmm. want a double pulse like you just want it to observe once and instead it, it observes twice yeah and and then you end up with like a, a, a clock or a loop or something and and i find that i'm just i'm wondering if there's going to be some problems with like you know those actions i mean they all all the things that they outlined were player actions i think so it had to be initiated by the player but i feel like there's there's a potential there for it to be kind of neat and niche but also like i don't want to have to like sneak around my base constantly to not set off you know <laughs> things yeah because like yeah. If, if i'm not close enough to set up the skulk sensor by walking i also want to make sure i'm not setting it off by eating so in the same light, like if you're just standing in your in your home base and you're eating a pork chop, you don't want to trigger your redstone farm that's sound related, right? Like because that would start to get annoying. 
Yeah, there's there's a lot of I think trial and error that's going to have to happen with skulk sensors to figure out what they're most useful for and how they're going to be best used for players. Like I expect the team has done a fair amount of playtesting at this point and figured that this is better to have than not. Um, and it, it kind of puts me in mind of a few different things where you could have systems reacting to what the player is doing and maybe like counterattacking almost. I don't know. Like if if you have something that's triggered by the player lowering their shield and then it shoots them with a dispenser or something like that. So yeah. so you can you can tell when a player is off their guard. That opens up a lot of possibilities. Um, and obviously everyone's thinking about using skulk sensors in the context of traps because it's the kind of thing that you can never detect outside of like tripping the the trap but like yeah like you i i'm i'm considering the uh the kind of more player player friendly uh, a bit more kind of utility focused aspects of skulk sensors and i'm i'm still not sure exactly where i would use them yet i just think they're going to be very useful for stuff once we really get to grips with them i mean you could get really fun and inventive with it too like if it re if it can tell the draw of a bow and the release of a bow then you could have like a mini game where you've got like a carnival you know target shoot where all your target blocks on the other end are attached to sticky pistons and they don't move until your player draws their bow and yeah. then all the sticky pistons start going like mad and then it will shut off with maybe a delay after that arrow releases right mm -hmm. so like you if you hit the target or whatever you get a certain score and then it's just it means that you don't have to have this constant redstone like going like crazy all the time because if the player wants to stand regroup think their strategy they don't have to sit there with pistons going like crazy the whole time like it's not going to start moving again until the player actually interacts with with the game which is is neat like there's again there's a lot of potential i'm just not quite sure how it's going to work but as you mentioned it's one of those things where i think hands-on um, and I'm really curious once some of the, you know, we'll say the more experienced Redstone people in the community get their hands on stuff like this and really start to mess with it. It's going to be really fun to see what they come up with. For sure. There's a couple of extra things in this snapshot, like equipping armor now for a start makes a sound effect, which is great. Like there's certain things that if you use it from your hotbar, it made a sound effect equipping it. But now it actually makes that sound effect if you manually put armor or equipment in your inventory in, in your armor slots. And that's that's cool. That that didn't happen before. And that also triggers skulk sensors now. Um, and goat horns are finally a vibration. So people can now play the goat horn to annoy the warden, if not deafen the warden, like people were initially suggesting. And it's also the kind of thing that gives goat horns some functionality they'll be able to use that isn't just a social thing like you can you can blow a goat horn and it will cause something to happen to a skulk sensor if you wanted to so i think there's there's potential there and the goat horn frequency when you detect the output of a skulk sensor with a comparator i think is the highest one so that's on a level with things like pistons moving and explosions as far as what the loudest noises are supposed to be so yeah, potentially you can have some some fun there. Good to know that that's been considered for uh, for this pre-release. And all the more reason to make sure you're prepped and dressed before you go to the deep dark, because changing <laughs> into something that you need while you're there probably a bad idea. Yeah, don't take off your uh, boots to add that swift sneak enchantment, because putting them back on is going to alert the warden. Um, <laughs> take your shoes off <laughs> when you come into my house. Um, <laughs> 
All right, let's uh, let's move on to chunk mail so we can get into the main discussion in a second. Uh, if you'd like to email the show, the email address is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And as we said at the top of the show, we are having a guest on next week. Prowl8413 is going to be joining us to talk about Bedrock Edition and the differences in parity between Bedrock and Java. So if you've got any emails specifically addressed to Prowl, then please send them into our email inbox, spawnchunkmail at gmail.com, and we'll try and pick out a couple of those as part of the the fun times we're going to have on next week's show. Uh, for now, though, this first email comes in from K Farm, who's a landscape artist member of our Discord, and the subject is the potential use for goat horns. Hello, I'm generally not a fan of the goat horn since it seems pretty limited, but your recent discussion triggered a thought about potential uses. What are your thoughts on having goat horns have the ability to repel a specific mob or maybe an annoying roaming pillager patrol? On the flip side, some goat horns could attract a mob, such as dolphins, turtles, or sheep, etc. This could be handy because we've all had the situation where you're looking for a specific mob and you just can't seem to find one when you need one. This would be a pretty niche use case, but it could come in handy at some point during gameplay. Thank you. Sorry I'm too old for a clever sign-off, K-Farm. <laughs> I got major brownie points for the sign-off joke. I thought that was mm -hmm. funny. Uh, I, I don't know about repelling mobs, as I think there are some mechanics in game like cats and creepers that do this in a very Minecrafty way already. Um, not that adding another way wouldn't be bad. I'm just I feel like it's already in the game, so it might not be forefront, you know, in terms of the development. Uh, but calling mobs, attracting mobs, uh, whether that's good or bad, I think you know attracting uh, hostile mobs could also be desired, depending on what you're looking for. Um, but specifically things like a dolphin or turtles, I feel like turtles are hard to find whenever I've seen a creator try to look for them. So, uh, being able to like call a specific turtle would be cool. I mean, thinking about like, um, the, the turtle helmet, right. And the, the turtle scoots and combining a turtle scoot with a goat horn to make it a, you know, turtle doorbell you know like come yeah, yeah. turtles come to me you know <laughs> like a, like a dog whistle kind of thing but for turtles yeah, yeah that's, that's yeah. <laughs> definitely an interesting idea um before we get too far away from that have you heard of the concept of culning before um this is mm -mm. So something i've only encountered recently through a streamer that i watch mentioning it but this is um basically like an old scandinavian i think it may even be swedish uh type of folk singing which um you know herding women used to use to basically call livestock like apparently it wasn't the main purpose of it i'm reading from the wikipedia article um it was just like a kind of social singing kind of thing like a work song and the the idea is that it's using a lot of tones that can be heard across long distances and often animals would start to respond to those and you could kind of call them down from mountain pastures where they'd been grazing during the day um, thank you, Wikipedia, for that one. But yeah, I, I like the idea of it being almost like a herding call, but played on a goat horn. Um, and whether it was attracting the goats down from the mountains or if it was some other kind of thing, I think it'd be kind of neat. Um, honestly, yeah, I, I would like more uses for the goat horn. Honestly, just the fact that it can activate skulk sensors now, as we mentioned, is a pretty valuable change. But if not actually attract the mobs to you because... I don't know, like most of the time when I can't find a mob when I'm exploring, it's because the mob isn't there, not because it's too far away and I don't notice it, you know? Mm. Um, I kind of wonder if when it comes to locating mobs, perhaps they could give like a glowing effect for passive mobs, similar to how 
a village bell when you ring it during a raid gives you a glowing effect around the oh, raiders. Oh, yeah. So that, like, cool. if you're looking for that one chicken in a forest, <laughs> then you can blow a horn and it, like, has the chicken outlined in the glowing effect. And in, in a way, that could tie in with the pillagers blowing their own horn when they raid a village, because it kind of implies that they could detect where the villagers were once they'd blown the battle horn. And And I'm thinking, like, that could potentially tie in thematically and and mechanically in a way that seems quite pleasant um i don't know if you'd want it to happen all the time though is the problem like i don't know if you'd want to be blowing a goat horn just for the sake of it and then have all of the mobs around you light up and be like no i don't want to see where that cow is right now i i think there's there's potential advantages and disadvantages to it but crafting it together like you said with like a turtle scute so that it highlighted just where the turtles were or something could be uh, could be worth it maybe or we talked last week about, you know, echo shards and the shield and like having an echo shard combined with a goat horn. I mean, because this glowing mobs like or highlighted mobs that are friendly kind of sounds like echolocation, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so use, so if you have a regular goat horn and you blow it and it just makes the social noise that it's designed for, great. But if you have an echo shard and you make a echo goat horn, I don't know why, you know, or what you want to call it. But like that would be the one that would be the, the, the horn that you would blow when you wanted to locate mobs. And I don't know if you can combine them to be specific. Like that would be cool, you know, having a, a feather and an echo shard to make a one that looks for chickens gunpowder for creepers you know that kind of thing mm -hmm. um man i mean think about exploring walking into a dark cave and you're fine with zombies and skeletons but you really kind of want to know where the creepers are <laughs> you know yeah, yeah. Uh, being able to highlight them would be would be interesting next email comes in from ironclad islaus a landscape member of the community and the email is about redstone dust Good day, Johnny and Joel. While watching Pixar's recent David 3.0 upgrade episodes, a summer blockbuster movie thought occurred to me. What if you could dye redstone dust? Such a minor feature would allow redstoners to have standard redstone dust wires, as well as blue redstone dyed wires, green dyed wires, etc. Dyed redstone dust would not act the same as standard redstone dust. In one exception, it would not connect with different colored redstone dusts. Perhaps you might even be able to wash away the dye by rinsing it off in a cauldron. Such an enhancement would not break the any existing redstone contraptions since standard undyed redstone dust would still operate as it does today. What do you think? Ironcloud Inslos died while he accidentally cut the wrong redstone wire and exploded the TNT trap. <laughs> yeah, the the old the old bluestone debate. Uh, and it did come up when I was wiring up my uh, my copper aging machine. This is the aforementioned David, the David Copperfield joke never gets old. Um, I think it's it's an interesting concept. And in short, I think it would be ideal for newer players and making redstone more approachable because you could isolate different wires from each other, which I think is one of the harder to grasp things about redstone wiring when you're new to it the fact that yeah you can't run two wires side by side because they just connect to each other at every turn it, it makes sense to have some kind of you know counterpart to that but i think for me the problem is that this also ends up in validating a lot of the problem solving aspects of redstone that have become part and parcel of the whole redstone experience it might even go so far as to invalidate some of the more um, complex creations from the technical community where they've had to work with these kind of limitations and 
I don't know how the technical community as a as a whole feels about that kind of stuff, but I know how it felt when like Iron Golem spawning mechanics changed and some of the larger Iron Golem farms were no longer necessary and it kind of left a bad taste in the mouth. So I kind of wonder how many of the community's solutions to working around issues like this have been, you know, thinking, well, we, we, we don't have, we, we're never going to have redstone wire that can run side by side so how are we getting around that how are we isolating it and how can we do that in a way that doesn't add delay by having every piece of redstone wire be a repeater or, or whatever there's there's problems like that that you need to solve and stuff that i was doing on stream that i thought i don't know if i would want it to be as simple as just having a second type of redstone wire um i don't know you've been doing a fair amount of wiring on your you know flower farm projects on the citadel and stuff how do you feel about the idea so on one hand, I can see, I mean, obviously I see your point with like the, um, I don't want to say eccentric, but like the the kind of unique way you have to wire redstone stuff because of mm -hmm. the all the interactivity and the fact that you can't have wires cross and all that kind of stuff. Um, on the surface, I like the idea of having different colored redstone for, for a number of reasons. Like it's going to be easier to tell it apart. So rather than having to put your blocks, you know, if you want, if you have something really complicated and you're using different color blocks to place your redstone on to indicate different circuits like this opens the door this closes the door this starts the farm this you know this refills the farm that kind of stuff um if you don't want to do that then having different color wires for example um would would make sense um i feel like they'd have to limit the colors though as someone that's doing a lot of decorating right now on on west hill uh my inventory is full all of the time Mm -hmm. uh, like just there's a game like how how long does it take before joel's inventory is full seven minutes into the stream like, like there's there's an over under on when that gets filled up so i think maybe limiting the colors like who wants 16 different colors of redstone wires i i don't you know brown black gray not not a thing i really want to contest with you know uh but you know six you know red orange purple yellow green blue uh that could be kind of fun uh especially if you kind of like worked in some more unique things to it like i don't think that the innovation uh or i'd rather i do think that the innovation of honey and slime blocks sticking to most blocks but not to one another is a really good example of this kind of thing working well so having new redstone colors that don't interact with the other redstone or are unique in their own ways i think might be a good way to go so rather than just being redstone have it be redstone like what if blue redstone is waterproof doesn't wash away you know what if green redstone sticks to walls and makes vertical redstone a lot easier i of course see the problem with the naming convention you mm -hmm. know like <laughs> green redstone or blue redstone and people are like wait what <laughs> like wh what does that even look like um so like i get it um and from a pure aesthetic standpoint you know, sometimes it would be nice to have your giant sugarcane farm or your wool farm have a redstone contraption attached to it that matched or complemented the build, you know, rather than if you made your giant, um, you know, thing turquoise or, or pink and red isn't really what you want to go with, then having purple redstone, maybe that would be much more fun for you. I, you know, there are some things that I think could be could be unique and interesting about it. Um, I don't think really rinsing redstone off makes any sense. Um, I, I think that it would be one of those things like once you craft it, then you've crafted it, you know, like yeah. I, we've got some data packs in the server that allow us to like recolor stained glass and recolor terracotta just to save, you know, busy adults some time. But, um, I feel like even for us, like redying redstone, if that was a thing, I don't think that would be something we would do. I feel like that would be kind of odd. 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think it, it's, it, it doesn't really work with the cauldron thing, considering that redstone dust isn't waterproof. Or at least it isn't on Java. I'm not sure if redstone dust is one of those things that is waterloggable on bedrock, but I know for a while before the changes came to Java, you couldn't put repeaters, comparators, uh, you know, rails and stuff like that. You, you can put those in water on bedrock edition. And, and so I don't know if... Um, yeah, okay, we're having confirmation in our live chat that it does wash away on, on Bedrock Edition, so it's not quite there yet. But that was a, a thing that I thought would be really good with, like, hollow logs if those were to come to the game in terms of um, the Savannah update that was going to add termites, and maybe termites can chew through a hollow log, and then you end up with something that you can have redstone dust, dust travel through that is waterproof. And you can you can come up with different solutions right. to it. So I, I, I don't know if necessarily just having a different color of redstone dust is the right way to go and it seems like the kind of idea that mojang themselves would have had a while ago so i i don't know for certain if it's the kind of thing they they think will fit with the game overall but who knows there's a, a lot of potential updates in the game's future and we'll uh, we'll see if that's the kind of thing they bite with moving on into the main discussion uh, you thought it would be an excellent opportunity to maybe take a look back at uh at caves and cliffs yeah, uh, 118 in review is kind of on the cards today, uh, because the wild update is now in pre-releases. We don't know how soon the update's going to arrive, but you can imagine it's within a month or so um, of pre-releases starting. We're going to have Prowl on the show next week, so we wouldn't necessarily be able to delay this until until then. And I expect we'll have a couple of like looking forward to 119 and 119 prep episodes coming up fairly soon. So... Now that the Wild Update is in pre-releases, I figured it was time to chat about how Caves and Cliffs Update Part 2 has treated the pair of us. And we're obviously coming at this from two different perspectives, right? Because I started my single-player world over again. I don't have any other projects going on right now. I've just been working in a single-player world since 118 launched. Whereas you've updated the Citadel and, you know, we've been checking in about this the entire time. But I thought it would be good to kind of crystallize our overall thoughts about how it's worked for our two different gameplay experiences why don't you kick us off so with the citadel being a four-year-old server my perspective is going to kind of come from that area um i haven't really explored much of the 118 terrain updates um save for the uh, 118 area that we established early on uh, for folks that wanted to go and check it out, and I wanted to go and, and see what we could what we could see, um, but for anybody that doesn't know in the, in the community, we have fast travel command blocks that we've decided are acceptable on the Citadel. So when you go to the 118 area, you're traveling 20,000 blocks, you know, through a, a quote unquote portal that's operated by a command block, and so there's there's no borders, like it's all brand new terrain. It's all we've got like a giant dripstone cave and mountains and all kinds of really cool stuff. But to my knowledge, outside of maybe one house, no one's really built and established much there because everybody has already started their huge projects and and they weren't finished. So when 118 mm -hmm. came out, it's like, let's go cool and you know, take a look and see what's up. But then, you know, I'm back to going I was halfway done West Hill, so like I wanted to keep going. Um I don't think uh for me i'm going to be expanding or or like checking out a lot of stuff in the immediate era in west hill what i might do is go back and and look underneath some of my older places like i don't want mm -hmm. to start another slime farm or another witch farm like i have that kind of stuff but it would be interesting to to for me in the future to kind of go back uh and delve underground and see what has been added under 
existing things like my swamp farm i could mine down farther i can get more minerals i can get more deep slate you know i could uh expand and, and light and make the the slime and the, and the witch farms more efficient you know there's a bunch of stuff that i could do there that would be multi-purpose like by digging down and lighting things up i'd be making a whole bunch of things efficient at, at one time um for me most of the playing experience in 118 uh is actually been more 117 with the addition of the blocks so azalea leaves moss deep slate calcite dripstone uh, i know we've had those since 117 however they've been a lot easier to get in greater quantities in 118 and so mm -hmm. I, I've also been using them more. Deep Slate specifically has been, it's, it's no longer just going to try to find a patch. It's more like just, just dig down, <laughs> like just, just anywhere and you can find it. So it's, that has been, has been useful. Uh, as I think one of our server mates, uh, Cosmic, uh, has, has found, and that is my, is my Deep Slate resource because she dug out a big hole and now it's basically like, yes, <laughs> anytime you need Deep Slate, just go ask Cosmic because she needs to empty out her chests. Um, but so stuff like that, I think has been, my real kind of gameplay experience uh i will say that because i haven't done a lot of exploring some things like rooted dirt has not really been a lot uh a lot easier to get because i'm having to grow one tree at a time and mm -hmm. get it that way yeah uh, and, and so i i can't quickly accumulate that and that's been as a result i'm just not using it much even though i really like it and find it very useful uh, and whenever I do use it, it's like, God, I wish I could get this faster, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. so, so like, like you suggested many, um, many episodes ago now, when I farm Oak, I don't farm Oak. I farm Azalea because then yeah. I can get, I can get Oak wood, Azalea leaves, flowering Azalea leaves, and I can get, uh, the rooted dirt and I don't need the Azalea leaves because I can get everything from the moss farm, you know, in terms of that stuff. It's just, it's just the rooted dirt that I can't get. So really my, my initial kind of like experience with 118 has been more of a building with the blocks and noticing naturally me gravitating to the blocks that are easier to get a lot of yeah and and in, in many in many cases those were blocks that were available in 117 as well right like you probably got the moss that you're using to grow those azaleas initially from a shipwreck in 117 right <laughs> like right. i'm going to assume that you've had that for a while and you're just yep. kind of rolling forward into it and as we mentioned, we had a discussion uh, prompted by an email, I believe, about some of the stuff that was added in 117 but wasn't as freely available and whether or not we are now using that now it's available in 118. And I, do I don't find myself going to lush caves for stuff that was rare or unavailable like spore blossoms and small drip leaf. I find myself going there for clay <laughs> instead, which was kind of unexpected, really. But yeah, like I, I'm, I'm kind of with you in the in an established world. There isn't really much reason to explore if you have everything that you want right now and you're good where you are, which you seem to be because you've got this long-term project started. And I think people with a bit more of the the wanderlust kind of approach to Minecraft when they're just exploring to look at some of the cool new stuff are going to want to push those borders, which you guys as more of like a building focused and a kind of, you know, an established community already aren't going to do that much. Have you found that going caving in that area, have you have you done a great deal of that underneath areas like West Hill or does it just, it doesn't happen unless it absolutely needs to? There was a mine that I kind of started uh, in 117 because you had to go look for patches of deep slate close to the yeah. bottom of the world. Mm -hmm. And and so I think that might be a fun build to do later, you know, like just kind of create a mine shaft, go dig down, get get really down far and see what you might bump into once you get yeah. down into, into deep slate 
uh, deep slate level. So um, I, I've I've had like a peak, and I've seen where like you know a ravine is, and there is a mine shaft underneath West Hill that I've kind of built like access to. Um, but and that could be a fun way to go and explore because that mine shaft could eventually get down into uh, into bedrock areas and stuff like that. I'm not really sure how far down it goes, but that mine shaft would have been there before because West Hill and the surrounding chunks have all been loaded for a couple of versions now. Um, yeah. So that would just be like the we've added deep slate under your existing chunks. We've not completely created new 118 areas. Yeah. Um, and in that light and in the exploring, I haven't we I don't think anybody on the server has actually gone so far afield as to load new chunks adjacent to old chunks. Um, but we've just got the new the new space. And I have to say, like the new space is very inspiring. Like I I have been mostly living vicariously through creators with these massive caves, you know, and huge mountains that folks are building in and around. And uh, had it not been for my massive project being like in that midway point, I would have been just like, oh, okay, it's now it's time to go do something, you know, really epic with one of these caves or mountains. I really like lush caves. I think lush caves are kind of a fun area to kind of explore and, and build in. Um, I love the idea of building a huge cave. And I think that the the update and the hollowed out mountains and terrain that you see is really appealing to someone like me as a builder for a, a couple of reasons. Like they, they do such a really good job of like creating these natural looking, but you could immediately see not, I don't want to say necessarily places for improvement, but you can necessarily like see, uh, paths along the wall that almost connect so like you as a player go oh i know i'm going to make a walkway there you know or or this giant pillar seems really important to the structure of this cave i should not knock that down like i should make that look even more important i feel like there's this i like notion to like uh, accent the existing caves and make them look even cooler than they are and live in them and and it's an attractive area to be in so like you want to build and play in it and if you want to build a cave and you want to have that experience, it removes the the drudgery of digging it all out by hand. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. And, and, and for those of you that can't imagine 3D spaces before you dig them out or sculpt 3D spaces with ease, the fact that the algorithm with the terrain generation is doing most of the work for you, I think is really, really good, right? Because uh, I can imagine something in 3D and I can go through and, and do that. But I mean, people that can't, that have to kind of go through block by block, like digging something out, like it would be very difficult for someone to dig out an organic. I mean, it's difficult for me to dig out what's an organic looking cave. I very often dig out a big chunk and then I have to like go back and make it look very painstakingly organic. And, and I feel like the way that they've got them now in the natural generation, they look fantastic. Uh, dripstone cave, same thing, you know, like watching your playthrough on, on the survival guide season two, like that dripstone cave has got a lot of character to it. Yeah, definitely. I think lush and dripstone caves are such important additions to the game in general. And like the, the overall depth of caving now, not just physically speaking, but in terms of the variety that it provides is perfect. Like I feel like before it was rare to find a cave that really felt impressive and now they feel huge they feel varied i feel like each one gives you something new and in addition to the generation in its raw state you have lush and dripstone caves providing some variety down there it'll be even more so when we get the deep dark in in 119 and there can be some instances where i feel like the terrain doesn't quite mesh with the biome like something about lush cave terrain doesn't work as well for some of the more fragmented piecemeal kind of caves but 
those rare occasions are vastly outnumbered for areas that look genuinely cool. Like, there's some spectacular stuff in there. And that dripstone cave just spoke to me and was like, yep, I need to build here. Like, it, it looks like, you know, the mouth of some kind of creature with all of these stalagmites and stalactites coming down. And then there's just so much space to work with in there that allows me to just clear out some of the spikes from the floor and get building. And that's that's so good to have an underground space where you can just get building without having to dig out a ton of it first. Um, so I think, in contrast to you, starting a new world was really the right move for me. And it may not mm-hmm. have been the right move for everybody who's done it, but I do think it was it was a good move in general. I think being surrounded by the new approach to surface terrain in the overworld was definitely a good way to f- understand how the game would feel moving forward, because this is just like baseline Minecraft looks like this now, compared to the 10, 11 previous years that some folks had been playing it. Um, you know, I avoided any biome blending issues, I avoided the kind of ideas fatigue that happens with upgrading an old world, and the idea that I would be, you know, into a really big project that meant I wouldn't get to go and look at the update. Instead, you know, I have new terrain, and everything starts from scratch and that felt different both in terms of scale and in biome distribution like i'm finding a lot of birch forests and jungles in my world which are two biomes i didn't spend a great deal of time in before now i'm doing it almost out of necessity because that's some of the stuff that is closest to where i am and this may just be my seed um but i've also found it difficult to find things like deserts snowy tundra and badlands they're sort of the extremes of temperature on the overall scale And I find that a lot of the world fluctuates between some of the more humid warm biomes like jungles and, you know, it's getting into stuff like savannas. But then the savannas tend to start to get mountainous and then that tends into mountains, which comes down the other side and it's a dark oak forest and there's nowhere in there for a desert to generate. So I don't know if that's just anecdotal and it's something that applies just to to my seed because of the, the sheer luck of it. But I've heard from other folks that deserts and those biomes seem pretty rare. You either get one at spawn or you don't get one for another few thousand blocks. Um, I've heard, I've found that too. Even just cruising around in snapshots, taking screenshots for the show, uh, same thing. Like I just I have to go locate biome. Like find me a desert if I want to find a desert because or a savanna yeah. because I I just I fly for what I feel like starts to be like I'm wasting my time. Like I mean, this is <laughs> uh-huh. this is not not nearly as common as I as I think it should be. And something else that I've noticed too, uh, watching other people that have new worlds like you or or other people that I follow online. Uh, aside from the giant marquee features, so mountains, big dripstone caves, lush caves, I've been noticing just how awesome regular terrain looks yeah and it's been pushed but it's not necessarily going to be like oh wow that's an amazing giant cliff face or something like that i'm thinking of just like mega taigas that have a much steeper face and a much more angular look to them which again changes the the variation in the the height of the trees right because they start five or six blocks higher than the trees around them and uh you combine that with uh other things like rockier shorelines uh, or islands that have a lot more heft to them. There's an extreme edge to the islands rather than just being like a pile of sand in the middle of the giant ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I feel like it just starts to look, for lack of a better word, more natural. Now, some of that is probably because I live in Canada, right? And so yeah. those the having, I mean, like it's very, very rare around here unless you get out to the prairies to find something flat. Like it's, everything is a hill. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> where i live uh and despite being like low 
low altitude, like all the way around, you still have a lot of variation in that altitude because of the way that glaciers carved out the area. And, and I find for me, it just, you know, anecdotally, it feels more like home, but I find it just infinitely more interesting without like beating you over the head with like this epic mountain is going to knock your socks off. But the terrain in general just feels way more interesting to walk around when you watch people do their initial, like, you know, first few creator episodes of, of a series and they're sharing their Minecraft experience with you, whether that's on stream or on YouTube. I feel like it's way more interesting when the player is really not doing anything. They're just walking around and looking and everybody's just like, it's just interesting. You know, everything from the smallest hill to the birch forest to the giant mountain and then the big dripstone cave. I find it a lot more interesting to just kind of like experience 118. Yeah, like I found one of those massive like mega tiger kind of areas and it had a valley with a river going through it and there were massive trees on either side and sheer cliffs and i immediately went this looks like a national park in my minecraft world and that's just default generation and when you look at what people have been doing with custom generation i think the landscapes end up looking relatively similar maybe a little bit more naturalized and minecraft is obviously more condensed and exaggerated because of the the video game aspect to it but i think aside from that some of the only stuff that feels substantially different in custom more realistic terrain gen or more natural looking terrain gen is block choice and the fact that they'd seed a ton of extra blocks in there just to give the area more texture i feel like with minecraft's biomes being tied to such specific types of materials they're not really going to do stuff like that but what they're doing in terms of terrain generation can be spectacular and natural feeling all at the same time which is i think perfect for what they've done so so again we've we've said it many times previously especially when we were discussing the lead up to 118 but really hats off to what they've done for for the terrain gen stuff and as far as gameplay goes caving instantly feels different to older versions to me because like you kind of got used to what caves looked like and where to find them and you know what they looked like when you found them was typically like a uh, a four to six block wide opening just kind of tunneling down into the rock and if it led anywhere you were lucky whereas now there are new types of caves you find them spawning on the surface differently obviously ore distribution is incredibly different and then they open out into larger areas much more easily you get caverns lower down like i think overall caves have come a really long way and while ore distribution has been a fun challenge for me, and especially because I went in very informed about where everything was going to be, I recognize its frustrations for other people because Minecraft doesn't change fundamental stuff like this very often. I mean, I expect people have played in a variety of terrain if they've ever tried playing like modded Minecraft or something like that. They've seen different approaches to terrain generation, custom maps, stuff like that. But when it comes to fundamental stuff like how do I find the you know the equipment that i need in order to survive where do i get my iron from specifically when that changes that's like something so fundamental that i find a lot of players are still wondering where they find iron in 118 and they think you know there's not as much iron as there used to be when in fact there probably is more iron than there was before it's just in very different places um and i think fundamental stuff like that being so static about Minecraft for a long time is both a strength and a weakness because it's the kind of knowledge that you retain forever but they don't get to you know give the players a fresh take on that stuff by changing it constantly and so that aspect of the game has never really felt new to people and so now it feels new again there is this frustration from 10 years of established knowledge of this is where I know I will be able to find iron 
and that kind of having to be relearned is a challenge for some folks. Um, on the flip side, though, you have new experiences like mining huge veins of ore. Um, I found that super fun, but I think the iron veins easily get outpaced by the most basic of iron farms, if you're familiar with those. Um, again, this is the Java experience speaking, because I know iron farms are slightly more elaborate on bedrock. Um, and as far as the copper ones go, there isn't enough to do with copper yet, unless you're building large-scale stuff with it, statues or, or whatever. Um, so I'm really looking forward to more uses for copper in future updates, which we're not getting in the wild update, but we are getting potentially further down the line. Um, and yeah, I'm 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 hoping that that will lend a little bit more um, a little bit more use to the experience of mining a huge vein because I think the experience of just doing that on its own is really fun. I think following veins and getting the reward of seeing more and more ore appearing in the walls around you is very good. It's just then giving players a reason to go and do that that isn't just, you know, I need a ton of iron to work with because they could set up an iron farm for stuff like that. I think I think copper is going to be the big one for that. And so I'm, I'm interested to see what they end up doing with copper as a result of this. Are copper veins only something that occurs in stone? Like they don't happen in deep slate, do they? Yeah, it's it's above Y0 for above copper Y0. and below, below Y0 for iron. So, so it would yeah. have to be new chunks then because I am getting into a point where I might want to start doing copper roofs in some mm -hmm. of the builds. And as the builds are getting bigger, I know that I'm going to be using up more copper. And while I have a copper farm in terms of like the drowned zombie farm that gives me some copper drops, uh, it's not an AFK farm. Like you kind of have to sit there and either have a macro to click or, you know, click yourself and be in the area. So it's not giving me a ton. It's giving me enough to accent stuff with, you know, throwing a, a, a block of raw copper in a barrel to make it look like fish or, you know, accenting a, a little thing here and there. Um, but I have not tried to build something large, you know, with mm -hmm. a, a copper roof where I know those ingots are going to be used up really quick. So um, I'm looking forward to having that experience. Uh, in terms of gathering more copper and, and trying to find those veins. I The four-year-old server just kind of like makes the ore distribution and gathering kind of moot, right? Because we've yeah. got an iron farm. The things that's changing for us actually is that it's the iron golem changes and um, spawning stuff in, in 119. We've got to fix our iron farm again. Uh, and we just decided to wait until the, these last little tweaks come out for iron golem spawning. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that... Um, like, I, I don't know that anybody has come across an iron vein, but if they did, I don't know that they would say, well, this could be fun. But like, they kind of look at it like, well, it could be taking me a couple hours to clear this out, but like, or I could just walk over to the iron farm and pick up blocks of iron. Yeah, so yeah exactly. It, it, it yeah. kind of takes the rug out there. But I, I like the idea that the veins compete with like, maybe you're just not interested in an iron farm. Maybe you don't have the technical know-how or you just find it too intimidating. And if you find an iron vein and that's, you know, exciting, as you said, the gameplay is, then that's great. I think it's an excellent change because it doesn't devalue the iron farm. It just creates a slower alternative. That's just, a, it's just different, right? Like it's apples and oranges in terms of iron collection. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I would love to see them do with this in future is potentially even uh, a, a vein that would reach stone and deep slate at certain heights, so a vein that could travel through each one and have it be redstone. Because while I get that redstone is more valuable in terms of its 
like you know you tend to find it around the same areas as diamond or it gives you a lot of xp for mining it and it's a fairly valuable substance i find that the the overall meta now is trending much more towards passively acquiring redstone through things like stacking raid farms which i don't know if the rules governing raid spawning are going to be fixed to prevent them in future but they do seem like a little bit of that effort reward balance is getting skewed slightly by how easy it is to set those up now that there are easily accessible and explained tutorials out there for them. Um, and it's not a bad thing on servers where especially like for, for players who need a lot of redstone and want to do big projects like that, it's going to supply the entire server with redstone in a heartbeat. I, I want there to be a, a way to go out mining for it and find it reliably because I've been mining out redstone here and there. I've been trading a bunch of it from clerics. I like the active approach to going out and finding resources like that. And I think redstone is one of those things that it's not going to break the server economy like having a, an entire, you know, huge vein of diamond ore would be. And it's it's providing utility to the player in a way that for some builds, like for some the scale that some people work out with redstone you actually need that level of redstone dust to to be provided so yeah I, th I think it's it's interesting to find what else you could add to the huge vein mining experience i think redstone might be it at a push but uh, who knows maybe, maybe that's something they're not interested in changing in the near future um on the uh, on the subject of of ore generation before we move on from that i think the fact that you can find more ore in mountains is a really cool change, not just because it's cool to have some variety in the, the terrain and, and good to go somewhere else to find a, a higher amount of iron and coal and whatnot, but then it draws people to mountains as part of the experience. Like, the cohesion of that with mountains being such a big part of this update is very good. And I think mountains themselves are really great in terms of their variety and scale. Much like caves, they really put the time in to figure out, okay, this is going to be a big part of the update. We want to make sure we do mountains right and not just have one biome that looks a little bit bigger than the extreme hills generation, you know? I think mountains, while there are so many different like sub-biomes and stuff like that, they've really done well in terms of the overall terrain shape of them. And I, can, I haven't found the, quite the right mountain to build on yet, but there are several in my world that I just really like looking at every time I see them. So as far as the exploration experience of them, give or take powdered snow being kind of annoying, um, I think they're, they're, they're a really good addition to the game. Yeah, I when I see them, I don't necessarily want to build on them. I kind of want to build near them. Yeah. Like you kind of want to be, you want to be around your build and looking up at them rather than being on the mountain and not seeing it. You yeah, know, mount mountains as background is is a very good uh, yeah. a very good look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've experienced the powdered snow thing, and I I appreciate the block, and I like the potential for it. Like I, I've learned a few things about it recently that make me think it might be good for the bottom of elevators in my modern city, mm -hmm. uh, which would be great. But I'm also when I experienced the 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 powdered snow trap uh, in initially you know flying around uh, and looking at the 118 area that we had. Um, I found it really off-putting being like constantly falling into these powdered snow places. And uh, I think it's because the, the feeling of falling in feels like your controls are glitched at first. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. It's like, it's like when you're pressing forward and you go sideways, she's like, wait, that's not how this works. And yeah. just, it just feels off and it takes you out of the game. And all of a sudden you're wondering what went wrong. 
with Minecraft, not what did I fall into in the game. It's like, yeah. like what went yeah. what went wrong with my screen sort of deal. And and so that I find is is a little bit wonky. I mean, it's not hard to get out of, especially if you've got enough armor where you're just not gonna take crazy amounts of damage. If you fall into the, something naked, it's gonna be scary in your first, you know, um, initial steps in the world. But if you're end game and you're kind of got all your stuff, then like it's really not a big deal because chances are you've got a good shovel on you, and it's just a matter of getting out. Um, I just find it's like it's it's something that I feel detracts me from progress, and it just feels like this constant roadblock. When you run into this, the patches, I, I equate it to the way that Elytra is wonky when you're trying to do work in water and you're like yeah. floating around on the surface or skipping around like a fish. And you're just like, just, just let me let land. I want to put my feet down, please. And thank you. You know, it's like, it's like those moments in, in comedy where people think they're drowning. And then the person next to them is like, just stand up. And they're in yeah, like yeah. <laughs> four feet of water, exactly. like that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, and I, I still don't find myself, again, this is probably the quick swap armor thing not really being available on Java Edition, but I still don't find myself putting leather boots on when I'm going to mountains. I just think, oh, okay, I'll avoid the powdered snow rather than using leather boots for their intended purpose. I've done it once for the advancement, and that's more or less it. So it'd be interesting if anybody is building around large amounts of powdered snow, if y you want to ex explain you know your experiences with it and uh let us know if you use leather boots or not email the show we'd love to hear from you um i think the one thing that you have had a lot of interaction with in terms of the changes in 118 and this is something we should not gloss over in fact we've talked about it a couple of times already uh, is the changes to mob spawning and light level because mobs hostile mobs requiring complete darkness to spawn felt like a massive change at the time and we genuinely couldn't find anything that would have been a problem there aside from maybe having to extend the roof on a couple of existing hostile mob farms but um mobs requiring complete darkness to spawn feels more intuitive and is fundamentally necessary with how big cave environments are but in terms of what you've been doing building creatively is also i think massively boosted by the ability to light up a room with like a couple of candles in corners how, how are you feeling about that now Oh, 100% agree. Yeah, it's it's changed the way that I've approached West Hill to the point where like I have to go back through the parts of West Hill that I lit up earlier before the um before I knew the change was coming. When the when I knew the change was coming, I laid off and said, "Okay, well, I'll revisit this when I I have more control." But being able to walk around a medieval fantasy build with candles and lanterns sparsely decorating the area at nighttime is awesome because it gives the illusion of it being kind of dark and spooky uh, without being unsafe for the player. You don't get surprise creepers coming off the roofs that often. Uh, it has happened recently, but that's because I'm in a newly constructed area where there's like, there's not a lot of light around. Mm -hmm. But anything that I've done where I've just naturally put in, you know, it would be natural for a candle to be on a bedside table in this little, little, little house. And between the candle and the fact that you've got maybe like a bed and a carpet and a trapdoor and some other stuff that are non-spawnable anyway, you really only have to light up about four blocks between that small table and the door and one candle does it. It looks scary at first. You're like, this is dark. And to the point where I've employed mini HUD as a client side uh, layover um, or overlay to, to see. And very often I'm just like, I need to light this up. This is too dark. And you turn on the overheads like, nope, that's light level three. Okay. Well, that's fine. Not only is it like fine, it's like four, it's three steps away from danger. So uh, I've found it immensely useful uh, to create atmosphere when I'm building, to allow me to use different light sources when I'm building. If I wanted to have like, um, I use blue 
um, soul fire lanterns in the church just as a theme. Mm-hmm. And it was always a mob farm. The joke on stream was, it's like, check the church before you go in because <laughs> otherwise yeah. you're going to be surprised. And uh-huh. now it's completely mob proof because the light from the, the lanterns is enough to have it be blue and moody, but like not dangerous, which is awesome. Um, the only downside to all of this is like, as you're building and lighting your, your area, especially in a large build, like I have that sprawls out over a large area, um, mobs will still spawn, but they're being concentrated in the spaces that are unlit. So, yeah. uh, I've had issues where like the game feels a little bit chuggy and like, I can't quite figure it out. And then after stream, I I'm looking around as the administrator and going like, oh, there's 20 or 25 zombies in this tiny little spot. And that's because it's the only spot that they can spawn for miles yeah. and, and it's dark. And, and because of that, you had like, you know, a lot of zombies have died or like they're picking up items or, you know, mobs fight and then someone gets dies and they pick up the rotten flesh. So these are mobs that are persistent and not going anywhere. And it, it, that, that can be a, a problem because they happen where you can't see them. The thing that I found, I think with previous mob spawning, Uh, mechanics which i don't want to go back to was that you'd still see a lot of the mobs spawning on the surface which means there wouldn't be an awful lot in the caves there'd still be some but not a lot and now because you start to light up your builds they're all focused where you can't see them yeah and so when i run into a bunch of mobs or i run into a mob i don't run into one i run into like five Mm -hmm. generally um and that's and it's fine just because if it's a zombie you can kind of hear them before you see them but it's like it, it becomes a little bit of a, of a problem. I've had to go hunting for them sometimes because they're annoying. Like they're underneath one of my builds where my storage room is. It's like, okay, I'm tired of listening to you. <laughs> We're going to go find you today and and end your existence. Uh, but the, the mechanics have been great for for lighting and for doing things like um, just moody things in, in the game. It's been night and day. Yeah, as, as someone who has spawn-proofed 118 caves for a slime farm, I would not want to do it if hostile mobs still spawned at, like, level 7. Oh, <laughs> it would man. be so much more work. And, yeah, I, I'm I'm a big fan of, of that as an overall change for creativity as well. So, yeah, I think it's great. Beyond that, like, the mob spawning changes besides lighting-related ones feel much better after we had temporary spawning rules in 117 for stuff like axolotls and glow squid and they still spawn in like one water source in the right biome right and people find glow ink in caves in you know the occasional water sources that just spawn in the wall but um axolotls spawning in lush caves feels a lot better to me it's better going to lush caves specifically to find them instead of having to grab an axolotl as soon as you saw it, because you don't know when you're going to see another one again, and they were spawning in underwater ravines before, and that kind of stuff. So I I think it is nice having those be a little bit more focused in one specific area now. That feels like the intended experience all along is present in the game now. Um, and, And aquifers as well, thinking about that, have come a long way since their introduction in those early experimental snapshots. I sort of remember them being these odd sort of steps of water shelves of water and now they feel a lot more structured they feel like a natural part of the cave environment and they still kind of leak everywhere occasionally but that's much more down to the structure of the the terrain generating around them and that can often be quite useful because they provide easy falls and easy water elevator kind of style things to get yourself back up to higher areas of a cave if you need to escape from mobs in a hurry and that kind of stuff so I think I think aquifers and and underwater environments add a lot and really you know end up being understated compared to stuff like 
dripstone and lush caves, but I think aquifers and localized water levels are such an interesting change for this snapshot. And part of me is still hoping they can do like mountain lakes with them eventually and things like that. But in the meantime, I think uh, the, the underwater cave environment works really well. And one of the the things that um, I know you want to get into that I have no experience with because I, I only really play when I stream is the the new music for 118. Yeah, yeah. Like new music is probably going to go overlooked by a lot of people um, because especially when we're so focused on gameplay additions and like, yeah, I, I play with the music turned off. I just add it back in when I'm editing a video because I like the music a lot. And um, I think the new additions to the soundtrack are awesome. Like, Lena Rain's music especially has a much more optimistic vibe to it. Uh, it feels a little bit more positive, and a lot of it keeps that sense of mystery, builds on the work C418 did, and Kumi Tanioka's stuff feels more like a tribute to C418. And I think it's it's really great. I'm really glad Lena Rain is now composing more music, and it's continued into 119, and... I don't know, maybe it's going to be on call for future updates, who knows, but I, I think the fact that the music in the game is expanding and it's taking on this sort of different mood as some of the stuff in the game changes and it feels like a less lonely experience and less melancholy experience, I do think is is a really, really positive change. So yeah, I'm not quite as familiar with the, the Wild Update soundtrack yet, but I'm looking forward to getting into it because I think that's all been fantastic. I'm reminded of it whenever I log into a snapshot, you know, video or a world to to take a, a screenshot because, of course, all the settings are default and the music yeah, is yeah. on. Yeah, <laughs> all by, your by config default. isn't the same. Yeah, and I mean, my reaction is like, oh, this is nice, and it's like, mm -hmm. and it's just because of because of the way that I stream with the music off, like I just don't get to experience. I mean, I listen when they first come out and they announce, hey, there's some new tracks, and I always like them. I, I think it's a really lovely addition, and uh, again, like you said, very cool that the music is, is expanding with 119. Mm -hmm, definitely um i think that's probably where we're going to wrap up this discussion because uh while we I, i'm sure we haven't covered absolutely everything i'm sure there's a couple of things we've missed we're uh, excited to see how things move forward and keep your fingers crossed for more pre-releases this week and we can hopefully be uh looking at the wild update very very soon but that's going to be it for this episode of the spawn chunks you can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at the the music for the show is composed by me and the spawn chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast if you're getting some value out of the show why not consider putting some value back in you can visit patreon.com slash the spawn chunks to join the community where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only discord chat you can participate in the live show recording you can listen in as we record the show live and get an exclusive preview of all of the mistakes that we make that we edit out uh, you can also get the monthly minecraft audio hangout that's going to be happening later this month as i mentioned earlier uh, we're currently at 339 patrons which is down three from last week so as we wave farewell to those folks we are happy to welcome a few more special thanks go out to our content engineers hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz thank you for your support on this episode sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show you can find us at the spawn chunks on twitter and instagram personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast just tell a friend about the spawn chunks and that they can listen on itunes spotify google podcasts even youtube wherever you can find a podcast you can find the spawn chunks be sure to leave us a rating and a review on your favorite platform you can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com use that email address no other we don't check the other ones for anything else for the show email the rss feed is linked at the spawnchunks.com and the patron only rss feed is on the patreon page where you can listen to the render distance the extended version of the podcast 
My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixelriffs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash Pixelriffs, where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixelriffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? Everything I am up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. The Sigil Cafe is my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, where you can find everything there at thecitadelcafe.com. Uh, I talked to Alistair this past week. We talked about Star Trek Picard and Star Trek Stranger Worlds. It was a really, really fun conversation. Uh, Alistair is very knowledgeable of the Trek things and uh, was good to talk to him. You can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from the Citadel and look forward to a Lego build coming soon. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's pretty deep when you think about it.